Okay, well, uh, thanks guys for, for joining us. Um, Sunday edition of the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host, as always. Today I am joined by the one and only Sam Knight of the District Sentinel. Um, Sam and I have been recording together for quite some time now, since 2016. Um, so happy to, to host him, where usually before it's been the other way around. So Sam, thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks yeah, for having absolutely. me. Absolutely. And if you're listening live, um, feel free to, to, to jump in with calls if, if you guys want to uh, ask us questions or engage the comments. Um, so, Sam, you've been, uh, you've been doing some writing lately. Uh, I saw that you um, had something up in Truth Out about uh, corporate lobbying and um, uh, bank lobbying and, and, and climate change and... Uh, I thought maybe we could just start there. We'll kind of keep it kind of loose today. We'll go for, you know, somewhere between like 40 minutes, half an hour, 40, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that. Um, we'll, we'll try and cover a couple of things here on this Sunday midday edition. Um, but I thought we could start with your piece uh, for Truth Out, um, where where you detail the, the way that the bank uh, banks are lobbying against um, climate Legislation. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? We can start there and then kind of uh, spin out from, from from that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I think a good and interesting place to start is actually uh, turn the tables and ask you a quick question, which is: as a journalist, have you ever been inspired to write something just because? someone said something like someone in power said something like incredibly insipid and stupid and it just like sticks in your mind forever quite, uh, quite often there'll be something that'll just kind of start bothering me and that i'll just kind of go off about yeah <clears throat> so um i you know i i think this was like probably over a year ago when he first started doing this but pat toomey the uh the ranking Republican on the Senate Banking Committee, he is often fond of um, warning regulators to refrain from um, engaging in any kind of climate change related rulemaking uh, by saying that no bank has ever failed because of an extreme weather event in, in the last few decades. And for assuming that's true and there's you know there's reason to doubt the 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 assuredness of that statement um it's a bit like saying well the city of Miami hasn't slid into the ocean yet so uh we have nothing to worry about in that regard from climate change and um you know you can argue that environmental regulators should be taking the lead on climate. And I think a lot of bank regulators will concede that and, and, and note that and that's what they want. Um, but there's still significant amount of risk generated by, um, by climate change. And that's sort of like, that's kind of a critical part of, of, of being a bank regulator is trying to, um, manage risk to the point where you know it's 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 
not going to um, subsume the entire economy, uh, no pun intended. Um, obviously, you have people who sort of say, oh, well, the private sector, you know, the private sector can deal with climate change. Um, it, it obviously can't, because if it could, it would have started doing it a long time ago, A. Um, and B, there hasn't been a private market for flood insurance uh, since 1927 or 1928. So the private sector clearly has trouble dealing with um, one of the major effects of climate change, which is flooding. So with all this in mind, I was, I was uh, you know, I've, I've been wanting to write about climate change and financial regulation for a while. And I, yeah, I, I, I was looking at FDIC rulemaking on climate-related risk, and I noticed that um, this lobbying group, they're, they're called the Bank Policy Institute, and they were founded in 2018 specifically to lobby for the big banks, right? They're like the four biggest banks in the country, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, and Citigroup. Um, they're the only ones with permanent seats on um, on the board of, of the BPI. There are other big banks on the on the board, right? Like like I said, this <laughs> this was explicitly founded to lobby for big banks. And um, you know, 2018, it was founded. You can probably do the math. It was founded during the the the, um, the early days of the Trump administration, or not so early, but you know, like early middle Trump administration. Uh, because, you know, subtlety was sort of going out of fashion then. And um, they wanted to make sure that in an era, in, in a time where deregulation was happening, that the big banks um, got their message across. So BPI explicitly founded two lobby for big banks. It comments on this FDIC um, proposed set of guidelines for climate risk. And one of the thing that really caught one of the things that really caught my eye and I thought was very newsworthy was that um, <clears throat> the FDIC, excuse me, the FDIC had proposed uh, rules regarding banks' climate pledges. Now, if you, you know, if you're at all familiar with corporate, you know, PR, propaganda, whatever you have it, every major corporation at this point has made some sort of vague net zero climate pledge and the banks of course are no exception and and all the four big banks that i just mentioned they all have net zero climate pledges they say we're going to get to net zero by 2050 um and so the fdic said okay you're making all these pledges we as regulators we should you know we are considering going in and, 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 you know, looking at your books to make sure that what you say you're trying to do with regard to your climate pledges, that that sort of aligns with your general risk posture. And uh, the Bank Policy Institute said absolutely not. Um, in this comment, they said that regulators, uh, and I can read it word for word, but basically they said regulators um, should have realistic expectations about what they say in terms of their net zero pledges and that these, that they are, um, that they're aspirational, aspirational was the word they used and that they're external commitments. Um, 
So basically what that means... I mean, it's just, it's just PR, right? I mean, like, that's really what it is. Right. They're saying, don't take this seriously. Like, regula- you know, if you're going to take a regulatory lens to these pledges, like, don't do it because <laughs> we're just sort of throwing it out there. Um, and like that, that's kind of a big deal. Cause I mean, first of all, <clears throat> you know, I think everyone kind of suspects that banks are lying to them. Um, you know, it, it, it is one thing to suspect it's another thing to have kind of, kind of it, it's another thing to have it down in writing. Um, and you know, even more than that, the, the Bank Policy Institute has some has some notable ties to J.P. Morgan. Jamie Dimon is is the uh, head of the board, um, the, the Bank Policy Institute's chief lobbyist. Uh, before she joined the institute in 2018, she'd worked for J.P. Morgan for 10 years, lobbying for J.P. Morgan during some pretty critical years in terms of uh, regulatory policy, the Dodd-Frank, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, if you follow the news, you, you see Jamie Dimon making headlines from time to time, basically scolding um, scientists who say that fossil fuel extraction needs to stop now. And um, J.P. Morgan, if you, you know, you might have seen this if you follow the news as well on, on, on this sort of thing. But J.P. Morgan is the most prolific uh, creditor most prolific financier for the fossil fuel industry. Um, there's a nonprofit that looked into that and in the years since the, uh, p- the Paris climate accord. And so when you have a guy like JP Morgan, uh, JP Morgan, when you have a guy like Jamie Dimon, um, you know, scold activists and lawmakers and scientists, they say he, he recently told Rashida Tlaib that if we stop financing climate uh, uh, fossil fuels, that will put us on the road to hell. Um, well, we are already on the road to hell quite, quite plainly with the, uh, with the current climate trajectory. And, you know, there's going to be, there's going to need to be some adjustments one way or another, uh, depends if it's controlled or not. Um, so what Jamie Dimon appears to be saying is that he, his bank would be on the road to hell. You know, that's kind of, that's, that's what it, you know, it's, that's what he seems to be projecting, um, when he, when he's sort of like trying to exude this confidence about, about why we need fossil fuels and, and, and why we desperately need them and, um, you know, in, in perpetuity. And, um, you know, yeah. as part of that, he points to people like Jamie Dimon will point to their climate pledges and, you know, what they're telling the public versus what they're telling regulators. It's, it's, it's inconsistent. I mean, it is like, like, you know, we were saying uh, earlier, it is a PR move. Um, it is, but it, I think it's interesting, of course, like when you have uh, in an in industry like banking, although, I mean, this really counts for, I think, just about any like major industry um, where they'll say one thing and obviously uh, they don't really mean it. It's just for PR. Um, and it's funny when they get, I mean, it's, it's funny, but like, um, it's 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 darkly funny when they get uh, kind of called out on that and asked about it, and then of course you know whatever trade association or whatever lobbying group that they have is going to say, oh, of course we don't mean that, and then you know, as you do in this article, like looking into like what they actually think, like what they actually do, 
uh, certainly reveals uh, something different. I do want to go uh, just to go back uh, just a little bit to the beginning of here where you were talking about the uh, the Bank Policy Institute and its formation and about the um, the the permanent chairs on it. You know, one thing that uh, just to play you know the devil's advocate or whatever here is that you know one one kind of counter to criticism of this group uh, would be to say that you know like every industry has its trade association, right? Every industry has its its uh, interest groups in Washington. What is it about this specific group uh, that makes it? Um, I guess maybe insidious is like too strong of a word, but but just makes it like newsworthy that this that this group exists. Like what like outside of this specific story, um, what would you say is kind of like newsworthy and 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 worth like noting about this group specifically um, that, that, that makes it kind of uh, newsworthy and, and worthy of attention? Well, I mean, first of all, there's the fact that the, the banking industry is, um, you know, a part of basically everything. And so when they're saying that you can't really trust what they say, in, in a public statement that it's just sort of that they're just sort of saying it. I think that, um, you know, that kind of has implications for, for a lot of things. Um, and, and there's also the fact that there are incredibly close ties between the banking industry and the government. And that's especially true of the uh, large banks who, you know, ha have since 2008 been pretty confident that no matter what they do, they will get bailed out by the government. Um, and so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's, that it's uh, another data point in every other story you've read about, uh, uh, about climate, about, um, you know, the fossil fuel based economy and climate change about how we really need to like, there's, there, there's a really, I guess the, it, it highlights the contrast between the urgency to act and how, you know, the ruling class is determined to, not act and to drag their feet for as long as possible. Um, like they have been with like every single reform on, on almost every single possible. Uh, right. Exactly. Industry, I, I, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's another thing that, you know, you can look at to, to point to, to say like, Oh wow. Our parliamentary democracy is like really failing us in front of our eyes. And, um, you know, no one, I, well, I don't want to say no one in Congress. There are a few people in Congress who seem to care. I mean, like Rashida Tlaib, who, you know, gave me a statement for the story. She's obviously, she has confronted Diamond uh, and, and bank CEOs on, on this issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit scary to think about, but um you know, uh, organize in your community or, or join a local organization is, is what I would say in general. I mean, that's really all there is to do. Yeah. Um, um, you're not alone out there in thinking that this sucks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I want and that we need little... to do something and that we can't rely on, on, you know, whatever institutions we have. No, no. I mean, I think that that's, 
I mean, there are people who can rely on institutions, and those are the people that have things like the Bank Policy Institute behind them. Um, right. But, you know, uh, just to talk a little bit about the carbon uh, credits, um, I just want to read from, from the story here a little bit and just to kind of talk about this a little bit uh, in, in, in kind of a little more detail. Um, so this is from your article. Uh, in one case of carbon credits not living up to their promises, J.P. Morgan Chase, quote, paid almost $1 million to preserve forest land in eastern Pennsylvania, close quote, that was, that quote, was never threatened. The trees were all part of well-preserved forests, close quote, according to a report published in December 2020 by Bloomberg. Since then, the bank has increased its exposure to the carbon credit market. Last July, for example, Diamond said, quote, timber assets uh, is uh, going to be a great thing for asset management, close quote, referring to a lumber company named Campbell that J.P. Morgan Chase purchased weeks earlier. The bank acquired Campbell, quote, to gain a foothold in the growing market for forest carbon offsets, close quote, according to Markets Insider. So it, it's, it's almost like even, even when they actually do something and put their money where their mouth is, there's always an ulterior motive. It's never really about actually doing, like, good for the planet. Uh, what it is about is, is about just, you know, uh, w doing whatever it takes to, uh, to continue to lock down assets to make money and to, uh, to, to protect the bank first and foremost. Like all of their, all of their uh, fancy uh, commentary about, you know, what, what they're doing uh, for the planet is, is just that. It's, it's empty words. Yeah, and I, I, that, that's um, – the net zero promises are, are particularly uh, deserve, excuse me, they're particularly deserving of scrutiny for those reasons um, that it, it's just so vague and, uh, and, you know, it seems like banks can rely on accounting tricks and promising future returns of technologies that may never develop. Um, and of 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 forestry schemes that um that don't withstand any real scrutiny and um yeah i mean like for those reasons regulators should be pouring over these plans to to to, to really see what's going on and, and public citizen made a point in in its in its comment on the proposed guidelines of saying that of of noting that like look like we really need to to um to hold to you know pour over the documents and check them out and and see what's going on here right right yeah and then and then it just you know shows that uh what they are doing is is always uh of of interest um of uh for their own interest um you know w uh, just to kind of shift it a little bit to uh, you know, the next two years here, um, is, is there really any interest uh, at the moment in Congress in uh, addressing this, like looking into this in, in any kind of like uh, substantial way? Um, and is, is that the kind of thing where we could expect that to just get thrown out depending on what happens uh, in the next election? Or do you think that this is just something where both parties are kind of captured uh, by this institution and, and it's just kind of uh, the, the political regulatory solution is, is kind of empty. Yeah. I mean, I, I <laughs> Democrats right now have the, uh, can point the mansion and cinema as their excuse. And, um, 
you know, it, it, uh, it's very convenient for them. And, uh, the fact that the main discourse over the, um, effect of, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine on energy prices is like, you know, people are, 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 are using that to talk about how we need to, to produce more oil um, and gas in the United States. And actually, Jamie Dimon said that we need a Marshall Plan of oil and gas production um, after Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, it's pretty bleak, I would say. And uh, I don't have any real hope that uh, the Democratic Party would do much, even if they had a supermajority in the Senate. And I would even argue that maybe that in, in order to build the kind of popular support um, to get a supermajority, that they would probably need to um, uh, try to find their way of like, I don't know. I mean, I... I, I <sighs> I mean, we've been talking about this for years, right? Yeah, it's it it's it's a little I don't know. It it does seem bleak, um, and it does like the Bernie experience gives me pause um, because people thought, oh, you know, Bernie's got the message. He will uh, go out there and and uh, electrify uh, the masses and the working class and. And all these people who who don't really vote are engaged with politics, and it didn't really happen um, at the end. At the end of the day, at least it didn't happen at a uh, at a, enough of a critical mass. Um. So yeah, I mean, I guess I would say that um, you absolutely need to look outside the political system right now uh, to to try to figure out how to um how to how to organized and advanced yeah. to try to advance an agenda to to try to d- diminish the uh the negative consequences of global warming that are coming you know um you did uh like you said you got um comment from from representative Tlaib um and and obviously public citizen like there are some groups that are doing some work uh on on this stuff uh do you think that uh, that that there's like a little bit of an opening here. I mean, Talib, for example. I mean, Talib's a pretty a pretty solid um, uh, politician, at least in my opinion. I, I I'm pretty impressed with her uh, and and her work. Uh, do you think that you know that that there is still like some sort of an opening to kind of push this stuff? Because you know, I noticed with like Bank Policy Institute, um, uh, like like in your article here. I mean, it, it and it, like they wouldn't be forming this group. Like, I think that it's interesting that you said that they formed that they form in 2018, right? They don't form in 2017 uh, because obviously, you know, the the Republicans have the trifecta, and they don't they don't need to like really worry too much about uh, any kind of challenge to their power. I think it's interesting that they do form in 2018 because at that point you have kind of this. Um, this new liberal slash progressive uh, democratic wave coming through. A lot of it focused on uh, climate, the climate crisis. A lot of it focused on corporate greed and 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 other, uh, you know, uh, 
other other political positions that that would cause the banking industry certainly to feel nervous. Um, do you think that it was in reaction to that? I know that you said that it was kind of like they just kind of went for a mask off moment, but do you think that maybe it was also in reaction to this new wave of um, of politicians coming in and that they were trying to like hedge their bets? I mean, it's certainly possible. I'd have to look at the exact timing of, of when it was founded. Um, obviously, though, that uh, Bernie um, had had run his campaign two years earlier, and there was a wave of people joining DSA and a wave of activism and and and, and stuff. So, I mean, that is possible. And I, you know, I don't want to discourage people from voting or you know, from supporting politicians like Rashida Tlaib, um, who do good work. I just, I worry that they are like the, they are outliers. They're the exception rather than the rule. And, um, and not only that, but like just the room to elect more of them is like, yeah, I mean, I think we have room to grow, but that there's probably a ceiling at some point. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I just, I, I want people to keep an open mind in terms of, um, thinking about solutions. Yeah. Like what action looks like does not necessarily have to be, um, at the ballot box. Um, so, so we have a little bit more, uh, time here. Um, if, if anybody wants to call in and join the conversation, feel free. But I, I thought we could also talk a little bit about the uh, uh, the Herschel Walker Raphael Warnock uh, debate just very very quickly because that was uh, certainly of interest to me. Um, for anyone who missed this, is the Georgia Senate debate where uh, Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democrat who's been in office for like two years now, uh, almost two years, face off against Herschel Walker, former football player uh, who, you know, I don't want to armchair diagnose, but uh, certainly appears to have CTE. Um, and I, I, it, it was an interesting uh, debate in that Walker certainly made like a, a bunch of mistakes and, and a lot of just like blatant like falsehoods and, and just said like a lot, you know, just said a lot of things that weren't true and went on these rambling rants. Um, while Warnock kind of, well, let's leave Warnock to the side for a second because I got some stuff to say about that as well. But but Walker doing that and then like the media coverage and the way that people were reacting on social media. Um, I don't know what your take on this was, Sam, but for me it really reminded me of Trump in 2016. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, Herschel Walker is a, a more extreme example because um, Trump – you know, he obviously rambles and, and, and rants and raves. Um, but I think like Herschel Walker's like cognitive abilities are, um, substantially diminished. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I also, I, I guess there'd be less of a shock factor if Walker won. I mean, it would be quite shocking, admittedly, because of uh, everything that's come out from his campaign, plus, like, his, you know, how he handles himself and, you know, his his fitness for office. Uh, but, you know, like, I, I guess my expectations for a state like Georgia 
um, are pretty low. And um, yeah, I don't, I, in terms of who they elect to statewide office, I, I could really see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just, the one thing uh, that I, that, that I really noticed that like really like hammered this one home for me was that everyone was making fun of him. Um, both were like, pulling out the uh the fake badge (laughs) which which was like admittedly funny like that was funny um and then the other one was uh the one that i really was thinking about was that they they asked him a question of like what would you do to uh check inflation and uh he gave this rambling answer and i think it was like aaron rupar one of these other like democrat affiliated uh tweet clippers um posted, you know, like, this is just ridiculous, and, like, look at this, like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, blah, 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 um, and, yeah, like, 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 definitely, definitely the guy does not understand what he's talking about, um, I, I completely agree with that, but if you listen to the rest of his answer, it doesn't really matter, uh, if he has any details or how to deal with inflation, or if he even understands what inflation is, like, that doesn't really matter, because what he's doing is, in that answer, is he is repeatedly hammering home the one single message that, uh, Warnock and Biden have destroyed the economy. Uh, it's it's Biden's policies that have destroyed the economy, and that's it. Like that is the message that he kept on hammering home. And like, yes, it was like somewhat incoherent, um, and like uh, like I'm sure that they were just like that that his team just like you know gave him talking points to just hit this stuff over and over again. But he did manage to hit it over and over again. And so when I like listen to this stuff and watch this stuff, I get a little concerned at the way that people are. Uh, reacting to it and thinking that it is not um, like evidence of, of like him having a, a, a solid um, uh, argument because he does actually have a solid argument. Um, he, he's like, like whether or not it's, it's, it's a legitimate argument is completely beside the point. Uh, like the argument that he's making is, is, uh, is, is one that, you know, that the Democrats have destroyed the economy. That's why you have to vote for the Republicans for change. And I think that that is why, when I look at his campaign, I think that he probably does have a chance um, to to beat Warnock. Uh, what do you think about that, Sam? And then uh, on the other side, we'll, we'll we'll take Joshua for a caller. Yeah, I mean, I I would be a little worried right now uh, if I were an incumbent Democrat facing re-election that um, you know the combination of inflation and the um, solution to inflation, um, higher interest rates, like neither of them bode well. And maybe I would try to hammer away at like, well, you know, the labor market's as strong as it's ever been in, uh, in decades and hope that that has some, uh, has some breakthrough appeal to people. Um, I don't really think Democrats have, have taken, the inflation issue uh, seriously enough. If they did, they would have um, been much more aggressive in, in in terms of proposing trust busting legislation to uh, to uh, bring some of these monopolies to heel that are driving price increases um, through their market power. Yeah, I I I would be worried right now if I were Warnock, and quite frankly, it's astonishing that he appears to be um shying away from from the stories about all of uh of herschel walker's indiscretions and his 
illegitimate children and all that. You know, uh, I know Warnock is, is a preacher and maybe he uh, sees himself as not wanting to discuss these things. But at the end of the day, I don't know if voters in Georgia are really um, seeing some of these daily beast stories that those of us who spend time on Twitter see, you know, day after day after day. Yeah, that's been that's been a, a complaint um, that that I've had as well with him. Although, like when I have, I mean, I know that this all is all anecdotal, but when I have posted about this on Twitter, I have had people from Georgia say, "Actually, no, like I live here." They are hitting him on it. So uh, oh, okay. he just wasn't hitting him on it in the debate. So I guess they are doing it with ads. But let's take Joshua here. Um, Joshua, thanks for calling in. How's it going today? It's going all right until I started listening to this call. Um, but uh, <laughs> right, yeah. Well, that's what we're sorry, for. Sorry, bud. <laughs> no, no, I, I've heard it before. I've been on this train for way too long. Uh, so I, th I think fitness for office has kind of gone out the window, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> that's no longer a requirement for you to be fit, either uh, intellectually or, uh, I mean, from a corruption perspective. Uh, and, and you can be a complete buffoon and hold office at this point. It's Good point. obvious. Um, and, uh, but one thing I kind of wanted to bring up and uh, get into the realm of what you guys are talking about is degrowth uh, when you're looking at climate change. And what does it mean from your perspective? Are we at a reality where we're going to actually have to slow down? Like GDP is no longer the measure of our health as a species, as a planet, um, is a, an ongoing uh, continuum. Um, and are we able to going to get to something like that without on a full scale political revolution? Because electoral politics obviously are not working. I mean, uh, they're not working for us, the people. They're definitely not working for the global south. They're not working for workers fast enough, even though we have good union measures. We're still talking about we. how do we get to full employment? And I'm like, we don't want full employment on a planet that is dying. Um, we want people essentially doing things that are in line with supporting themselves and their families and the, the community around them as opposed to supporting um, the elite's perspective on, you know, how to get to Mars. Yeah, that's, um, that's good. Thanks. Thank you, Joshua, uh, for that, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think like degrowth is is a good um, a good conversation point. Uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that like short of like total catastrophe, I don't really know how you get to that point though. I, I think that 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 uh, it maybe might be aspirational uh, for for some people, but. Uh, it, in reality, I, I think that uh, it, we're not going to get there voluntarily, um, and so I think it would take you know a pretty massive catastrophe uh, for for that switch to be made in time to change anything, um, in, in uh, to the extent that it's even a, a, a reasonable, rational response. I don't know, Sam. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that uh, degrowth is, um, it's a conversation we need to be having and it's, it is absolutely, um, you know, I think it's something worth pursuing. Uh, 
there's obviously a problem of political economy and that everything is based on, you know, what little trickles down. And um, yeah, I think Joshua made a point that like in order to get there, <laughs> we kind of need uh, something resembling a revolution. Um, you know, we just need radical change of our, our, of our political and economic system to get there. Uh, because you know we we need to make sure that everyone is 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 fed and clothed and comfortable and i you know i I think we can do that with um with degrowth, but certainly not under the current system yeah, it feels like it feels like we would need something uh pretty massive uh to happen um but I know that I, I so I know Sam. I know you're on you're on a bit of a tight leash, um, and and we've we've definitely uh, talked through uh, this story quite a bit. Um, any any parting thoughts, and where can people uh, both find you and find your work? <sighs> My parting thoughts. Uh, yeah, I guess like I said before, um, that. Uh, rather than despair that uh you know you should join a local organization like you know your local chapter of dsa or uh, you know just as an example i know it's not for everyone and um you know even if you can't devote that much time like i i am a dsa member and i unfortunately don't have a lot of time to um to, to get involved in organizing or or um, whatever, to, just to be a part of the group and to support the group and to pay your monthly dues, um, you know, to, 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 be a part of something and to be a part of a group of, of people, um, who value solidarity and, uh, you know, want to go into the future fighting together for one another, um, yeah, sorry if that's a little schmaltzy. I just, uh, you know, I, I want to no, end this no. conversation on kind of a, uh, on, on a, uh, I don't want to strike a note of despair. I want to sort of contrast with the uh, subject matter at hand. So um, that th those are my parting thoughts. Um, but yeah, you can uh, f basically just go to uh, twitter.com slash uh, the DC Sentinel and you will see a lot of my work and um, various stray thoughts that I have throughout the day. And uh, yeah, you might even see a, a, a cute photo of a baby or a cat at some point. See, there you go. We are ending on a positive note. Uh, well, thanks, Sam. Um, and uh, thanks, thanks, Joshua, for calling in. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you are listening live or on replay on the app, please um, be sure to subscribe uh, to the show on the call-in app. And uh, if you are listening on replay on iTunes, uh, Google, any other uh, Spotify podcast syndication, um, please you know, uh, like and rate us on those uh, outlets. We will be back on Tuesday with Sana Saeed. Thank you so much uh, to Sam for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later. All right. Bye-bye.